welcome to the latest episode in CMS's Future Facing webcast series covering issues in Central and Eastern Europe. I'm Glenn Flannery, a partner in CMS's Global Restructuring Group based in London. And today we will be discussing capital investing and restructuring in CEE in the midst of the global pandemic. I'm delighted to be joined today by four contributors, all of whom are very experienced in transactions and restructuring involving businesses in CEE. The first of those is Mary Ellen Collins, who is an experienced non-executive director and former director of the European Bank for Reconstruction and Development. Prior to her EBRD role, Mary Ellen worked in international banking and has a wealth of experience advising on distressed lending and investment, particularly in Eastern Europe and surrounding territories. Next, we have David Lofts, who is a portfolio manager and head of origination and trading at Cheney Capital, which, among other investments, has raised and manages a 1 billion euro credit fund focused on stressed and distressed investments, including in CEE. We also have Raj Apte, who is a partner in Ernst & Young's restructuring group and head of restructuring for Central and Southeast Europe and the CIS region. And last, but by no means least, we have CMS's Anna Radnav. Anna is a partner in CMS's banking, finance and restructuring group based in Romania, but working on transactions throughout CEE and beyond. Turning now to our topic, investing and restructuring in CEE in the midst of the pandemic. Panel, based on our discussions before today, I understand that the picture so far in CEE has been broadly similar to that experienced in Western Europe, in that there has been a huge and sudden shock to local economies and businesses as a result of government-imposed lockdowns and social distancing measures but that some of the impacts have been mitigated by governments stepping in and providing various interim support measures to help businesses weather the storm. Much of this we covered in one of our earlier webcasts. For me, the burning question is what will happen next as the support measures are inevitably wound down and withdrawn. Which businesses will survive and which will fail? When and how? will businesses fix their broken balance sheets? And how equipped is CEE to deal with that? Mary Ellen, if I may, I will turn to you first on these issues. It would be great to hear your views on what you experienced in previous downturns in the region, how this one may be different, and how you think it should be worked out. Uh, thank you, Glenn. Uh as, as you said, the impact of the shutdown of whole sectors of the economy have created a systemic crisis uh, with distress on a larger scale than I think I've ever seen in the CEE uh, as a whole. Um, so the widespread financial stress really does uh, demand some new approaches to restructure. And now that we're coming to the end of the support programs and the debt deferrals, there is really an immediate pressure on both companies and their banks to move quickly to find some effective resolutions. Now, 
borrowers and lenders, of course, need to be aware at this time that there are fresh alternatives to the classic bank restructure uh, and new players uh, who may be able to broaden uh, the financial restructuring options. Uh, The entry of new investors into the CEE uh, has been evident for a number of years. Uh, For example, when excessive NPL levels threatened the viability of a number of CEE banks, uh, the resolution came via new investors in the region who bought NPL portfolios and uh, helped the banks remove the overhang of uh, these bad loans, clearing their balance sheets. By freeing the banking systems of the big NPL overhang, uh, you created a significant boost to regional growth. The support for debt deferrals by the governments today is evidence of a significant shift in the CE and really Europe-wide toward value preservation. New legislation aims to buy time for distressed but viable borrowers to continue operating while they develop and agree a restructuring plan with creditors. Value preservation tools borrow from the U.S. Chapter 11 process, and this is a big step away from older insolvency rules in the CEE, which tended to favor uh, repossession over restructure and wound up all too often in liquidation. Now, the needs of distressed companies today often include a need for additional liquidity, possibly an equity infusion, sometimes a full operational restructure. There are many ways to address these needs. For example, there are investors prepared to provide new short-term funding with super-priority liens. Private equity may be available as a source of fresh capital as well as management and operational support. Uh, And these are in addition to the more traditional restructured techniques such as debt equity swaps and debt write-downs. So what I would say is pragmatism on the part of both the borrowers and the lenders is probably going to be key to successful restructures in today's environment. Thank you. Thank you, Mary Ellen. Raj, it would be great to call on your experience too. Do you agree with Mary Ellen's perspective that a a fresh approach is required? I'd I'd welcome your thoughts. Fully agree. I think the need to have a more flexible and value preservation focused approach is key. And I think that has been embraced across CEE since the Lehman days. I think at the time of Lehman, people were a little bit in shock. As Marilyn rightly says, those insolvency focused regimes. And people realized over time that was not the best way of preserving the valuable assets within their economy, which are the companies that generate Uh, value in terms of jobs and output. So there has been a shift and that shift has been twofold. You've seen over the years a gradual acceptance amongst the stakeholders in restructurings, the banks, the parties involved in this whole thing, including shareholders, that an approach to finding a more comprehensive solution requires a little bit of new thinking. It does require potentially new capital to come in in the form of debt or equity. It does require a process to get done. It does require some form of framework to facilitate the negotiations to get a deal done. And therefore, 
two areas have developed significantly in CEE. One has been the legislative framework that various countries have put in place. You look at Poland that actually went out and put a set of rules in place, a law that allowed moratoria to be put in place for companies who are in stress. And then it had different structures to facilitate this kind of out of court or court assisted restructuring. You have others, a softer touch like Hungary, which through the central bank had a little bit of a encouragement to the lending community as part of that process with the EBRD to follow best practice, standstill agreements, equal treatment, you know, all these kind of things that are required to get a deal done and involve professional advisors as required, both legal and financial, to help objectify and facilitate uh, the process. So I uh, fully agree with what Maryland said. And I think the range of tools and best behavior in terms of practice behavior has evolved significantly in CEE. Thank you, Raj. That's uh, very interesting. Um, you mentioned um, some of the new tools. I'd just like to expand uh, a little bit on that now and the legal frameworks um, across uh, CEE uh, that may be available to help struggling businesses to restructure. Uh, Anna, I might turn to you for this one. I mean, over the last few years uh, and even before COVID-19, uh, there's been a big push from the European Union to encourage member states to update their restructuring laws and introduce new tools that facilitate effective restructuring of debts before a more destructive insolvency process may become uh, inevitable. In fact, in 2019, the EU issued a directive to this effect, requiring member states to introduce these measures into their national laws by July uh, 2021. Could you perhaps please give us a quick overview of the current landscape in CEE in terms of progress in introducing these new tools and whether any of them have arrived in time to help um, in the response to COVID-19? In terms of landscape in CEE, what, uh, picking up on what Mary Ellen and, and Raj were saying, what we have noticed is a very much a change in mindset. Uh, many jurisdictions are already looking to overhaul their insolvency regulations, even ahead of the preventative uh, restructuring directive. As Raj was saying, Poland is a is a very good example, and others will follow. Other jurisdictions are in process of um, implementing it, or already had certain preventative or sort of pre-insolvency uh, moratoria or the like, more or less um, effective. But what we see more and more is uh, market players achieving the same results through uh, voluntary out-of-court restructurings and already accepting that this is where um, there is value preservation in the process uh, for all parties. Also for um, the larger um, restructurings in the region, we've seen successful use of English law tools. You know, we're looking at schemes of arrangements and many large cross-regional financings um, are documented under English law, which of itself um, helped in uh, restructurings and using, you know, creative use of, of restructuring tools to deal with um, the creditors and, and reaching consent. Thank you, Anna. Um, having heard from the uh, advisors, I think it'd be interesting to switch now and hear an investor's perspective on uh, some of these issues and uh, investing in the region in such uncertain times. Uh, as Mary Ellen uh, mentioned um, in her first answer, in the wake of the last financial crisis, private equity and special situation funds played a very important role in the recovery. They were the 
buyers of the non-performing loans that the banks wanted to get off their balance sheets. They put their capital to work in risky situations and deployed their workout experience um, to help work things through more quickly than might otherwise have been the case. David, I know that among other investments globally, Cheney Capital um, has some experience of investing in distressed and distressed situations in CEE. Um, would you mind sharing with us um, some of your experiences uh, so far, and in particular, what you see as the challenges in CEE compared to investing in perhaps more mature markets? Um, first, I think it's good to, to, uh, to sort of explain why we think CEE is an, is an attractive area to deploy capital. Our fund, our billion euro credit opportunities fund, is, is structured um, uh, as a locked up drawdown structure where we're, we're investing in situations for five years. So we have a very long term time, time frame. It's also of a size that makes it, it, uh, it perfect for investing in middle market and smaller middle market situations. Um, which is uh, exactly what the economies in CE um, are comprised of. Um, we've had extensive experience as Italy and Spain evolved post uh, post um, GFC to sort of ex um, extend that into CE. Italy and Spain are very much middle market middle market economies with nuanced restructuring uh, frameworks. Um, so we're really applying something that we've had 15 years of experience um, implementing in, in a region that has uh, moved moved towards um, uh, restructuring processes that are not dissimilar from what you see in, in Italy and Spain. Um, we have a, a staff of 12 uh, professionals who have extensive experience in restructuring um, across, uh, across Western Europe and CEE. Um, uh, extensive language capabilities, et cetera, all of which are important when you go into uh, into uh, a region that has varied um, both languages and and uh, and processes in place. So we're kind of we're kind of ideally set up to be um, to be uh, invested in CEE. As Mary Ellen said, um, the opportunity set. It is quite open to us. We don't see a lot of competition on single name corporate restructurings as we do in in, uh, in Western Europe. The larger funds largely have played um, primarily in 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 MPL purchases uh, of pooled exposures, whereas um, it's not efficient for the larger funds to really try to engage on smaller single name assets. So again, we, we we like to go where the competition isn't. Uh, the competition isn't in middle market Italy and Spain, and the competition isn't in CE. So it does allow us to get involved in situations where valuations are appropriate for the risks involved. Um, if you then if you then say, well, how do you optimize what you're doing in CE? Um, our, our approach there is to focus on sectors and businesses that have a reason to exist. Have good management teams, good plans, just the wrong capital structure for for the current operating environment. Um, further, you have to know your restructuring tools. Um, as Anna had, had talked about, you know, using using uh, 
uh, UK schemes, if you have larger syndicated situations, being very familiar with the convergence of, of each of the countries, um, you know, restructuring laws towards the European directive, and then employing the right advisors, both financial and legal, to help you achieve the right outcome. Um, the other thing, as part as part of employing advisors, it's not just to get sort of understanding the legal framework. Many of these advisors have already been into the comp companies that are restructuring and doing due diligence and or IBRs for either lenders or the companies themselves. So plugging into the right uh, to the right um, advisor network is is key. And then finally, in structuring transactions to optimize outcomes, clearly there we we strive in every every country we operate in to align the stakeholders' interests with our interests. Do that through through the structure. What what kind of post reorg instruments are going to come out there? Make sure and structure them such that they're aligned with uh, with with the outcome we're seeking, and also then put in the proper governance, either through direct or negative control mechanisms, such that you can put some teeth in, you know, put teeth in the G of ESG. David, thank you for that. It's great to hear that you've had some good uh, experiences in the region so far. Although it's not uh, what you and Cheney Capital are focused on necessarily, um, you too mentioned the larger non-performing loan portfolio transactions that we saw coming out of the last financial crisis. Uh, and I do wonder whether we will see the same thing again this time around, but perhaps further down the track. Raj, I would welcome your views on this one, um, whether you think we will see uh, this replicated this time around, uh, and if so, when? I think there's definitely a place for MPLs and the sale of assets. I think there are investors who understand how to buy into those portfolios. And there are also investors who know how to invest in single names and gather from a variety of lenders if it's a large situation, the various pieces to become uh, the main overall lender to that situation. I think in order to go to MPL, you, you, we sometimes forget that an MPL is just selling an asset to a party who is still a lender. There's still a borrower who needs to survive. And therefore, it's only part of the solution set. And I think as you look at the the market evolve, MPLs are one part of the thing where you move assets into the hands of parties who manage those assets, but then often ones where the bank's given up. And there's a lot of them just running them off and maximizing the value through the runoff. Where I think the maximum value can be achieved for everybody in the market, if value preservation is the key, is to have a very clear triaging of situations within the banks and the banks literally make a view take a view early is this a company that we sh whose debt we're the owner of the claim we sell individually if it's large enough or as part of an mpl portfolio ongoing processes do i put it into insolvency some companies really do belong in insolvency it's the value maximizing thing we shouldn't be ashamed of it it just is a recycling of capital the asset gets sold and uh, the assets get put into new uh, third party hands or we support it. And if the bank support it, then the speed and the way in which it's done should be done to preserve value. Most companies in a stress scenario start to lose value, suppliers start running out of the door, 
good employees start running out the door, it's generally a bad situation the longer it uh, progresses, which is bad for everybody who's linked to it, including the lenders. So if they're going to do it, then the idea is once they're taking a view that they'll support it, then you should kick in processes, proper analysis of the situation, proper view of the different options available. If there's capital, start running a process with advisors to bring in that capital in in a way that's going to be acceptable to other stakeholders. Is it super senior? Is it in another form? Um, And then managing the process with all the stakeholders to get that deal implemented quickly. So I think whilst MPLs are part of the story, there is a a non-performing loan can also be addressed and turned into a performing loan through careful management of that loan asset. And I think speed, if you choose to support it, being creative and flexible to the range of options that are available, instruments required, and funding that's then needed to rehabilitate those situations is, is key. Thank you, Glenn. Thank you, Raj. Anna, is there anything that you would like to add to that um, based on your experience? I think we um, we see, it, as Raj was saying, it's probably, um, I think the, the road to NPLs is perhaps still a bit further away as the banks are now uh, evaluating the exposures. Um, what's happening now is that following the application of various uh, moratorium provisions, you know, the banks are uh, looking at analyzing their exposures, uh, reporting to see if um, it was just a, a blip in the performance um, or a true non-performing asset, and then uh, looking further how to support. Perhaps one element that I think David touched upon as well is the, I would say, the emergence of ESG considerations in refinancing scenarios. I think now the the big uh, considerations are whether the banks are looking to stay and then amend and extend, perhaps bridge uh, the position to a certain extent, refinance. And in that point, I think ESG considerations to the, the, the extent to which the business is sustainable or can be transitioned to a sustainable position will become I think an important element in availability of a finance and um, a restructuring solution. Thank you, Anna. Um, having heard how um, banks and credit funds um, may approach matters this time around, I'd now like to circle back to consider the position of the debtor companies who will be at the heart of this. Uh, Mary Ellen, from your experience, do you have any pearls of wisdom on how you think they should approach their difficulties. Uh, From a strategic perspective, what's the best approach they can adopt to achieve the best outcome uh, for themselves and for their stakeholders? My main recommendation uh, for companies at this point is to get the board involved early. Restructure is a broad concept which can cover everything from a simple revision of your repayment schedule on debt to a more profound recast of company operations and structure. A company's board has a key role in leading a process which is sufficiently deep to identify all the issues and how much change is really needed. Most companies today are looking to restructure because they've been prompted by the end of uh, the government-mandated debt deferral periods. Management may be focused only on dealing with debt restructure. This is where the board must ensure that a head-to-toe strategic review of the business is done before any decisions are taken on restructure. 
The board review should include such things as company operations, debt levels, management, and should identify any specific impact or opportunities which the shutdowns have brought forward. The board may conduct its own internal review or involve outside advisors such as lawyers and consultants who are specialized in financial or operational restructure in order to support their work. How a board proceeds depends on the specific situation as well as the degree of stress which the company is showing. Either way, the board should establish a process uh, uh, to um, assess whether uh, the business is able to recover with short-term support and uh, or whether the changes in the market, the industry, or the financial stress of the company situation demand deeper changes in the business. The current crisis has brought changes to markets presenting opportunities in some sectors, for example, the growth in digital sales, uh, which has completely altered the delivery channels in certain industries. Other sectors have had traumatic drops in demand. We have only to look at traditional retail to see what a disaster has occurred in their businesses, and they're forced to change their whole business model. Particularly hard hit have been more mature industries, including many manufacturers, where the crisis has revealed weaknesses, including overcrowded markets, high cost bases, and the need for consolidation. The review which the board does will determine what kind of restructure the company should be pursuing. It could be purely financial, it, uh, it might be operational. It is often a mix of both. If you need a financial restructure, your objective might be to gain more time to repay your liabilities. It might be to get additional liquidity facilities um, to, to deal with your short-term uh, funding needs. Uh, it might involve changes to the capital structure. Uh, so, if you uh, have reached the point and decided you need a financial restructure, the board can help identify the options uh, to achieve this. For instance, if you need liquidity but feel your current lenders may be reluctant uh, to give you additional funding, it, an option should include talking to funds which specialize in super priority lending into stressed situations, uh, such as what David's fund provides. If you identified major debt restructuring as a key need, you should discuss this with an uh, experienced advisor. There are many options, including uh, negotiating a discount on debt or uh, performing a debt equity swap. But negotiating those kinds of restructures is quite a complicated process especially if you are dealing with a number of lenders. I would always recommend involving a professional advisor in, in such a process. And finally, uh, you may conclude that an operational restructure is what is needed. These are quite different from a financial restructure. They are more complex and they always need specialist help. Uh, when the deeper structural change is, is made to a business. Outside advisors 
um, are critical to the success of those changes. Um, such advisors um, may be brought in by the board at management level as a team to implement the changes which you've decided need to be put in place. These could be reshaping the business, disposing of assets, and large cost-cutting programs, uh, which are best implemented by a specialist restructuring team. A financial restructure may be a part of such an overall operational restructure, um, all intended to put your business on a sounder footing. In conclusion, I, I'd like to say a company's board is quite crucial to a successful restructure process, from asking the hard questions to identifying the resources needed for execution. Thank you. Thank you, Mary Ellen. Uh, wise words and pragmatic advice that I can see helping in all distress situations, not just those in, in CEE. Um, before we close, um, I would perhaps like to turn back to David and ask, uh, from an investor's perspective, what you see as the main investment opportunities in the region? Are there any particular uh, situations, territories, sectors, or types of business that you, you view as particularly investable, investable David? Well, I, interestingly, our, our, uh, our most significant investment in CEE is a supermarket in Slovenia, um, and, and that uh, supermarkets globally are outperforming many other sectors. So by, uh, by uh, very good luck and good advisors involved, um, you, you know, our, our one situation is doing quite well. We, we, we do see opportunity to provide, uh, to provide interesting um, super senior sort of COVID bridging facilities. We, we did one in Germany, for instance, uh, early on. We looked, have looked at four or five other situations um, in, the, uh, in the May, June, July uh, framework. Now, the, the flood of liquidity coming from government programs has delayed that. I think, I think it's effectively kicking the can down the road, as we've discussed here. Um, the government supports are going to come off, we think, in January and February. There'll be significant opportunities in both providing um, sort of standalone liquidity facilities, as well as, as coming in either, um, you know, working with existing lenders to, to restructure situations with new creative capital, with appropriate structures, or indeed um, potentially replacing existing lenders through discounted purchases of of assets, I think from a sector standpoint, you you look to this this strong the sectors that that uh, are strong in in CEE, which are you know manufa manufacturing businesses, uh, um, and, you know some some of the, uh, the the high growth businesses, technology, business services, um, uh, product development, etc. That those are all very strong businesses and will, will certainly come back to where they were pre-COVID over a, a period of normalization. So we'll look to engage um, across all those sectors and we think there'll be significant opportunities, particularly as pressure comes from uh, regulators um, to have banks continue to rationalize their balance sheets. David, thank you for that. Um, conscious of time, we will uh, need to wrap up now and it's uh, great to 
be able to end with those um, tangible uh, insights, David. I'd like to thank uh, all of our panellists for such a fascinating uh, discussion. I think for me, the key takeaways are that, uh, first of all, the restructuring market in CEE has been maturing uh, in a healthy fashion since the, the last financial crisis. Um, there do seem to be some new legal tools available to support restructuring activity. And even where these tools don't exist or uh, aren't that developed yet, um, practices um, do appear to have evolved to provide greater scope for successful out-of-court restructurings and value preservation that way. Uh, and importantly, uh, there does appear to be an appetite from investors to deploy their capital uh, in the region to help struggling businesses that require fresh capital to, to restart and recover where the business fundamentals are sound. I think all of these factors uh, taken together should help with the climb out of the uh, devastating impact of COVID-19 uh, uh, for, for so many businesses. So on that note, uh, I'd like to thank the panel um, once again, and um, we look forward to uh, welcoming, you, welcoming you in due course to the next, next webcast in the series. Thank you. <laughs>